of the Dumb and Dumbest Podcast, the music industry podcast where everything is terrible and the house is on fire. I'm Matt Bacon here with my beautiful co-host, Curtis Dewar. Hello. And our amazing guest, Phil, the angry metal guy. Yo. How are you today, Phil? Well, I have uh, been better. <laughs> oh, man, what's going on? <laughs> ah, dude. Um... No, I mean I'm I'm pretty good. It's uh it's it's just I'm getting into crunch time with my with my dissertation. Sure. Sure. How is the quarantine impacting that? Uh well, it's kind of going to screw with my defense actually. So so I don't know exactly. We'll see. Actually, I mean it <laughs> the quarantine is kind of fucking with everything, man. Um which I guess we're going to talk a, talk a lot about I suspect we're going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but here it's like, um, you know, I mean, to be fair, we can do a lot of our work from, from at home and stuff like that. But, uh, but, you know, things like, um, sort of public defenses, which is sort of, yeah, things like defenses and things like that, they're more difficult, uh, conferences and places where you're going to present people, present information and meet people and, you know, a lot of life is, um, what is the, the famous, you know, it's like 80% of life is just showing up. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, that's a little bit true. And, um, you know, they, there are these old studies about how you, people who work from home are, are less likely to get promoted, for example, uh, and these sorts of that things. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, of course not, because you're not being seen. Yeah. So, so I actually think that like in the long run, it's not necessarily the best thing. And for me, I mean, you know, I mean, not to get, get for me, I have some small anxiety about the fact that I am uh, going to be looking for a new job sooner rather than later and going into this fucking economy that's shrunk by however many percent. And, you know, I mean, and who knows what that means for uh, your average show for everybody. And, yeah. and then, you know, for me doing sort of specialized research, yeah shit <laughs> um, so i mean that all of that said you know maybe maybe it's time to monetize the site <laughs> oh god <laughs> uh i don't know actually that raises all sorts of problems but you know i mean like it, to the point where you're kind of going well what now so um i am in sweden so i'll be fine right, right. in the end uh, they will, they will pat me on my ass and hand me money eventually. So, uh, <laughs> well, uh, welfare statism. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Remind us what your, uh, what your thesis is on. Uh, my thesis is about the development of, um, I don't know, step, take one step back. It's about the possibility of persistence of digital protest. 
So it's, it's sort of like, I mean, it's actually, it's much more detailed than that, but it's, that is the kind of overarching question, sort of like this idea about slacktivism, right? Activism online that doesn't matter. Sure. Uh, my, I'm making an argument that basically, uh, if you introduce, uh, like policing and risk into that kind of situation, you, you may create the, you may create the conditions for activism online that matters. <laughs> and it's, it's, but it's very, it's a very like sort of theoretical and technical thing. Interesting. Uh, but I can tell you the other part, which is that basically I did interviews with people who uh, were participated in, participating in sort of ha hacking and activism um, and uh, sort of about the ways in which they trust and cooperate with each other. So, I mean, that's sure. like, that, that's the, the kind of the foundation of what I was doing. Fascinating. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty, it seems sort of obscure, but it actually ends up being, I think it ends up being really important because if you look at situation, like, so if you look at, for example, um, like incels, or if you look at like terrorism online or these sorts of things, um, those kinds of the kinds of um, radicalization that can happen happens in similar ways to how it would look if you're just involved in some sort of quote unquote normal politics. Sure. Um, right. I mean, it's sort of a, and so, so like the relationship, like the nature of relationships between people doesn't really change that much uh, given whether you're doing something that is illegal or that I don't agree with. Right. So if you're a terrorist or if you're an incel or if you are, for example, like, hacking against capitalism, the, the nature of human relationships doesn't change. So, uh, so I actually think that like what I'm researching is, is sort of more applicable to other fields. Um, and I chose something that was uh, sort of, that I found to be interesting at the, at the time. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, so it's gonna end up being interesting, but we'll see what I do next. How, how has, to kind of circle back to metal. <laughs> yeah. How yeah, has we, your, we've already lost everybody. <laughs> exactly. How has your life as a academic uh, informed your work as a metal journalist? You know, in one way, um, I almost want to think, I almost want to turn it around. I said, like, because the first thing that I think of is actually the fact that writing as much as I have has really changed the way that I write academically. And it's made sure. me a better, it's made me a better writer and it's made me a much more confident writer. And I was never like an unconfident writer, but I mean. Sure, you started I, with a blog. But, yeah, but I was not a good writer when I started the blog. A hundred percent. So, so. 13 year old Matt, 14 year old Matt thought so. Well, yeah, but I mean, so, so, I mean, I guess comparatively, I, in high school, everyone always said I was a good writer too. But if I look at my writing from high school, I do not think I was a good writer. I assume that has to do with the fact that I was not reading everyone else's texts. Uh, but you know, when I look at, I look, when I look at the things that I wrote in 2009, which I've sort of been doing, uh, which I've been doing quite a bit of, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> like, I was not a good writer and I was, so, I, I would have yelled at me very much. But so the, the, the inverse though, is also that I tend to approach things in a way I think that's just different. Sure. Um, right. I tend to think, think, I t tend to think about things. Um, well, I mean, I tend to think about things in ways that inform 
uh, that are informed by my sort of work, which I think we all do. So the, the classic example of this is that I study social movements and collective action, right? So I think about uh, like the Nazi issue differently than other people do because I study, like I know people who study Nazis, right? Like I, I, I've read a lot of literature, like social, social science literature about it and stuff like that. So I approach, I approach those issues in that way. And then, and then I also think like, I, th I just think about the scene probably differently um, uh, because of actually in, in part because of my research as well. Like I've really started thinking about what the hell a scene actually is. Like what is it? How do you define it? How would you find it? If I wanted to find the Swedish scene, how would I go about doing that? Right. And like, I've come up with a way that I think that you can do it. And uh, that's pretty interesting. And, and so, I mean, those are the sorts of things that, and that actually does influence what I end up doing. Wait, Last, so how, how do you find the scene? Uh, well, actually, let me, let me finish my, what I was going to say. Sure, 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 sure. The, la the last thing is that I work with text analysis. And because I work with text analysis and I teach text analysis, I review records differently than other people do. Sure. Which also informs how I write about them. Because what you, what you do in text analysis is that, is that you basically, well, what you do in any analysis, but basically you take the thing that you're studying, you break it down into parts that you see as being similar, uh, and then you create sort of, you, then you create a series of themes, right? You, and then you sort of, when you're writing about it, you write about those themes and you explain why those themes are interesting. What it is that you're, what is it that this explains, right? Uh, for me, I, that's what I'm interested in doing as a social scientist. Like I'm interested in understanding complex phenomena and explaining that, like under, uh, understanding why I think that's happening, uh, and explaining it to people, right? And I think that, um, and I think that that what ended up happening to me is at some point I realized that I was doing that when I was writing reviews too, because of the way that I listen to music. So sure. you know, I listen to an album all the way through, uh, I, oftentimes dozens of times, and then I take pretty, pretty serious notes, listening notes, and through two or three iterations of listening notes, uh, I start to develop themes. And then that's essentially how you write a review at AMG. Like that's how I want you to write a review at AMG. I don't want you to write about necessarily explicitly about specific songs in and of themselves. What I want you to write about is I want you to write about the ways in which uh, whatever this riff and that riff or that solo and that solo, uh, like the way that they demonstrate what you think is good or bad or you know, whatever about this album and why you like that or why you don't like that, right? Because those are the sort of the stages of sort of like, here's my evidence, here's what I think of it, and here's why I think that that's the case, right? So it, I've ended up writing in a really, um, I, I've ended up writing in, in, in actually a, a quite rigorous way, which I think changed how I wrote, but then I'm also very impatient with people who try to write sort of poetically or artfully about, about music. Um, I just have no patience for it. And I think it's partially because I, you know, I read way too much philosophy and, well, I, no, I read way too many social scientists who want to be philosophers and they're bad at it and it's crappy and I want it to go away. And so I, I ask irritating questions like, what does jagged mean when you're talking about a riff? Uh, like, 
what do we mean in, you know, like, what do we mean with, like, what do you mean by this adjective? Or what do you mean by, because that's like how you read texts. So, so there's sort of like, yeah, I think that it's made me kind of anal retentive in some ways. Um, but I also think it's made me way better. Wow, that's sure. a long answer. Yeah, but it's interesting because you have a unique background. Mm -hmm. um, Curtis, I think you had a question. He muted himself. Okay. Um, so while Curtis is dealing, I'm going to text him. But uh, while Curtis is dealing with that, so okay, so so I did want to ask that question that I um, that I was curious about before. Uh, how does one like per your sort of from your academic viewpoint, um, from your academic viewpoint, uh, how does one find the scene? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, so basically, what I've done is I I'm drawing on some other. They're kind of like three ways of thinking about scenes. Um, one of them I don't really ag agree with. Um, and it's in part, it's just very much about like the physical. Um, one second, Phil, if I can just interrupt you, I'm sorry. Sure. Um, I think you might have Curtis. Um, I have him muted. Uh, yeah, I, I think it might be you who has him muted. Uh, yeah, he's just unmuted me. That makes okay. sense why, why you guys weren't answering me. <laughs> Ah, that. Um, that you had muted you. So. Okay, no, I uh, was like, "What the fuck, you guys?" So okay, so 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 Curtis, before you get in, can, can I? Can we just finish? Curtis, just muted yourself again. Okay, Phil, are you still there? I'm Curtis, unmuting him, but Curtis, you're muting yourself because I know I, I did that while I was waiting for you guys to talk because I have okay, a cool. loud house, so okay. I, I mute myself when I'm not talking. Okay, cool. So to finish the, if I can just finish the question I had. Um, so how does one find the scene as it were? So, so I want to, I want to start by saying that, that some of this relies on, you, do, do you know the uh, six degrees of separation? Sure. Okay. So this idea of like everybody is, is five steps, five steps apart from each other, six degrees in terms of network language. So it, this is important because basically uh, large groups look uh, oftentimes the same and it's what's called a small world network. And this is actually Stanley Milgram uh, who, uh, who wrote a paper about it. Um, but basically the idea is, is that, um, uh, yeah, like that, that society is, is sort of small groups of people who know each other pretty well that have, relationships that bridge those groups, which means that you can use those bridging relationships in order to kind of reach uh, other people within the group, right? So anyone in the United States, for example, is essentially within, that's where this comes from, is essentially within five steps. And it's, and it's uh, smaller and smaller countries with sort of smaller populations, right? Uh, so, so I mean, like, for example, I scraped a bunch of data from metal archives uh, and you can basically interconnect, um, you can interconnect much of the metal scene in a similar way. It's called, I mean, so, so that's important to think about. So what I'm saying is that a scene, and this is actually important in my dissertation, but that a scene is a, um, it is the overlapping places and networks of people, right? So it's not just the people who are involved, it's the places where they go and then 
who sort of share, and this is super jargony, so let me just say this, like who are part of a subculture. So, and, and that's sure. like- So it's the people who go to St. Vitus Bar who are also metalheads. Exactly, right? And they're part of the scene, right? But then part of being part of the scene is knowing where the scene is. So like the people who are really involved, who are planning basement shows and know all of the people in all of the places, right? That's sort of your core, uh, sure. your core actors. And, and then there's a lot of stuff that happens in there, right? There's a lot of like differentiation. This is, you know, when we talk about issues of gender and race, this is sort of like, this is oftentimes where that comes in, where, you know, how open the scene is versus how closed the scene is. and. Um, kind of who the main actors are and who they're letting in and under what conditions, right? And that kind of stuff. And then, and then you kind of, um, but it's also important, what's so interesting about metal, for example, is um, that the scene in terms of metal is also sort of global. Well, it's not just sort of global, is global. And, and what you see is that, is that sort of like a uh, innovations in different places get, brought up to the global level because they're being promoted by labels and people are listening to them and then they get interpreted and reformed by other people sure. mm -hmm. and then those people do some sort of innovation and i guess the most obvious example of this uh in my opinion would be like look at the you know the 90s swedish death metal scene sort of inflames dark tranquility sound that gothenburg sound at the gates being the big one and then look at new england hardcore Right, so the the metalcore scene. Sure, that's a very right. good example. So you just see them playing like, well, what was it? in an interview I did ages ago with one of the dudes from Unearth? He he was like, yeah, well, we're basically like in flames and crowbar, <laughs> like like that sort of you know the the kind of the in flames sound plus breakdowns, right? Like that was how they thought of themselves, and and um. And yeah, that, that's pretty much what it was, but it was an innovation, right? And so you end up with Kill Switch Engage and all these bands coming out of it. Uh, and of course we got overwhelmed by it, but that's pretty interesting. And then that got interpreted again and sort of reinterpreted in Sweden and it didn't get big, but like you, ha you end up with like Soil Work and Sonic Syndicate and it's almost like sort of Euro trash metalcore. Uh, and and that's, <laughs> that's like, uh, yeah, I'm sure they're gonna love it if they hear that, but um, well, be sure to keep Keith. Be sure to tag him in the show, in the in the yeah, post. Yeah. No, don't do yeah. that. But sort of the Eurocore, what I what I tried calling Eurocore. When somebody actually called me out in the comments one time, like that's not sticking, man. Quit it. <laughs> Quit calling it Eurocore. But I mean, that's how I like. And those bands aren't awesome. I actually I like Soil Work pretty well, some sometimes. But uh, and they're fucking great live. Uh, but the but the um, but like Sonic Syndicate, everyone is glad that they no longer exist. I mean, I think they no longer exist. Um, I mean, like, probably the only negative review I've ever seen universally praised was my review of Sonic Syndicate. <laughs> I think, like, like everyone... I like their first album, I want to point out. Yeah, but man, seeing your polls, I'm not real, I'm, I'm not real keen on your taste, so. <laughs> Ooh, shots fired! Oh, guys, yeah. guys, I mean, you guys should see the slack, uh, the anger metal guy slack. We, I, I hate everybody's taste, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, you should see Dork's discography. I call everyone a boomer. <laughs> Quit calling me a boomer. It's, it's really annoying. Matt, you probably are the only person with boomer taste, I have to point out. That's, yeah, that's right. super funny. Yeah, that's, the best, that's the best part. <laughs> um, are you, no, are you no. in Dork's discography? No, no, I should be. 
Okay, yeah, I was gonna say, I was like, I don't think I've called you a boomer in Dork's Cosmography. No, but you, you know, you can call me a boomer whenever you want. You call me a boomer on Twitter. That that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> um, no, no, just just to get back onto another thing here. So I have a question about, um, like, you talked about how you're basically overly analytical and expect your reviewers to be overly analytical with <laughs> reviews. Overly? You, no, no. I think I, I am think appropriately, appropriately yeah, analytical. Sorry, appropriately, not overly, <laughs> but you expect them to be, right? Like yeah. you want, you want like an in-depth analysis, I mean, right? Sure. So how, how do you, how do you find, have that fine line between in-depth analysis and not getting boring? Well, we try, find- we try to add it. I mean, the, the, the big thing for me is that like, Okay, so I have a, a trick. I don't know if I should say it, but fuck it. it you should have learned it in high school. So if you don't know it, I'm not, I'm not actually, I shouldn't be telling you anything you've never heard before, which is that like, I actually want you to be able to read my reviews by reading the first sentence of every review that I write. So the first sentence or the first sentences of every paragraph in every review that I write. So, so my yeah. goal is essentially to have a five or six line summary that can be derived from the, from the topic sentences of my, of, my, uh, of my reviews. And I do this in part because I think that like a lot of people who write reviews, I, I learned this actually editing other people's stuff. Uh, a lot of people who write reviews or write anything really, you actually reach the conclusion, the thing that should be your sort of lead in sentence Uh, that's your final sentence. And so a thing that I was commonly doing when I was reading drafts was going, ah, you should put this first. And I realized that like, yeah, I mean, basically if done appropriately, I can say like, I don't really care that much about this band, but I'm interested in what the person thinks of it. So I will basically read the topic sentences. That's how you read academically, by the way, too. But you read yeah, the topic, topic sentences, you get to the bottom and you say, oh, all right, cool, well, that's, that's the score. So you've done some reading, you have an idea of what the person says, you don't know the entire argument about why or why they don't like something, but you have, a, you, you have it sort of signposted. And I, I find that to be really useful. And for the record, I feel like that's how most people read on the internet at large. For sure. And, and there is sort of that, I mean, I think there's an, there are some equivalent ideas in sort of journalism, right? Where you kind of have that, that where you have the generalities in the, first, in the first paragraph, and then you kind of work your way down to the specifics at the bottom, which is actually problematic, right? Uh, because people should probably know the specifics when we're talking about politics or international, you know, like international policy and sort of those sorts of things. But, but instead, they pretty much look at the headline, they look at the summary of the headline, and then they attached onto the first paragraph and that's where they end. I, I think I saw a, a statistic one time that people spend on, on average about, I mean, if you remove the bounce rate, right? The uh, people spend on average still about like 45 seconds on every news, news article or some shit like that. It was, it was ridiculously low. So, um, so yeah, so, I mean, I think that that's, uh, but we have a word limit that I break through all the time. Um, but I think that it's just, I think it's, I think that that's a lot of it is, is basically like, I try to edit. I try to make sure that people are, are sort of making it a little bit snappier. Um, mm-hmm. And, and some of it's just about good language. And some of it's just about the fact that people are funny. We, I mean, we bring in people who are, who we already think have potential as writers. Mm-hmm. So, so we're also working from kind of a talent base, I think where we, because we're popular enough that we get, you know, literally dozens of, applications every time we, we get a call 
mm-hmm. every time we do a call. So, so I mean, I think like we were able to really bring in some some good talent over the over the years, and um, and so long as you can get people to kind of edit themselves, then then I think that you don't have to worry too much about it. Well, I was actually curious about that because a lot of sites they'll just you know the whoever's running the site will just cut and paste whatever the writer sends. How much editing? is actually done by you or someone else prior to the post going up on average we do a lot of editing in fact one of the things that i have been trying to like scream at promo people about is the fact that sending us something you know two weeks ahead of time oftentimes is not enough time for us to get around to it in part because we usually want we usually want the review submitted a a week or a week and a half or two weeks before the release date in order to have it edited and then copy edited, um, right? But so, so in a, basically, to to give time for some some editing or rewrites, and then also copy editing, because we have thirty writers, we're writing uh, three reviews a day, and um, so you, can you imagine the number of hours that are that are behind the the scenes? And I. I don't think that like like labels some labels figure like have figured it out like uh, and are really cool to us but but I still struggle with particularly with with the majors because whatever we're a blog and they're scared we're going to leak it or whatever it is they don't give a shit um yeah. and and so I so and I get really frustrated too because like fucking metal wani or whatever will get stuff um we'll get stuff three months ahead of time. Suddenly they're publishing like some major, some major thing three months ahead of time. And, and like, yep. I'm fighting with promo people to try to, to try to get them to respond to my emails. Um, but like, there's a, which by the way, that's basically, I think because we alienate people by writing negative reviews sometimes. Which uh, I actually think is really important. I yep. think that's really important too, but it's, well, well why do you think it's important? Well, it's, so this is tricky, right? Because it's tricky as like the label guy. And I actually, so I, I had a few things I want to kind of get into with you because I, because of a few shifts um, with a couple of my clients and stuff, um, I, I've been reading a lot more reviews lately. And so I want to get into some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the negative review, I feel like there's two types of bad review. There's like the gloriously angry review, which I kind <laughs> of love. You know what I mean? Where it's like, this is pseudo deathcore for fucking yeah, yeah, 19 yeah. year olds yeah. smoking crack behind their mom's house. Like, yeah. I kind of love people who like get that mad about like a <laughs> shitty record. <laughs> and then there's what you do, which is almost insidious isn't the right word, but more <laughs> damaging, I guess you could say, because like a bad review from Angry Metal Guy, like, time like your your uh time per review is much much higher than other sites like your yeah. man hours per review you know so for you to put up an, an, an ang- a mean review is like fucking wow well we try um, not to make them mean i mean so I mean, they can you know they I mean. can get but no 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 but i think this is important because i think when i started on when i started i was meaner i think i was much more comfortable being mean Sure. Um, and I think that I mean, and even I think originally when I when I took 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 the name Angry Metal Guy and sort of decided to make it a pseudonym, I had sort of been thinking, well, you know, I can be a, like I I'm doing it in a way I can be a bit of a dick as sort of a as part of the kind of personality of it. Uh, 
And for me, these days, I actually, my goal with negative reviews is that uh, because reviewing is so subjective, right? It's just a matter of taste, uh, unless you're doing something like complaining about the fact that the singer can't actually hit the notes or whatever. Um, so so then, then for me, what I actually would like is that I would like my negative reviews to be as informative as my positive reviews. Yeah. Uh, so that, so that, I mean, and I've had this happen where somebody was like, you know, I mean, I know you wrote that all of that is bad, but those are all the things that I like. So I checked it out and I really like it. Right. Like, yeah. and so you can, so, so the, the negative review in my world should be a portal to, uh, well, every review should be a portal to getting you to want to listen. Absolutely. And, and maybe if I'm negative, a person who doesn't agree with me will actually get more use out of it. Yeah. I agree with this. I, I, like the way, like a lot of times a negative review can actually incite someone to buy and check out the music. You're 100% right on that. It depends on how it's written. The angry, angry reviews like Matt's talking about, I always find are not very helpful. It's just kind of like the dude well, is spouting off that he's angry. Yeah. But and also just thoughtful. real fast, if, yeah. I, if, I, if I can point out, you know, sometimes I think with a lot of these angry reviews, you know, you have someone getting mad about the tropes of black metal and it's like, you just don't like black metal, bro. Yeah, yeah, you just don't like it. Yeah. Like, like that's okay, but like... But, and if you don't, right, like, then you're, then you've had your, whatever, you're, you've had your come to Jesus moment, and you've decided that black metal is boring as hell now, which is a thing that I've been on for a little while. That's incorrect, um, but okay. No, I mean, I think it right now, boring. right now, I'm really bored with black metal, and particularly anything, anything with the label atmospheric, and I, and I really just go, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip that 14-minute riff uh to uh, to go on with my life and listen to something that you know entertains me but uh but all that said i mean like then then for example i re i reviewed but this is me so i first off i want personally i know more musicians now uh i mean i'm like i'm a musician i was in a band but like i, I wasn't really putting my stuff out for for review in the same kind of way when we did we got good reviews but it was like it was you know it was ages ago and and like, I I've, I feel like I have more sympathy for musicians. I want a musician who reads my review of their work, uh, even if it's negative, to think that I've given them a fair shot, and that matters to me way more now than it than it than it used to. If if I think that's one of the reasons that analyzing it, quote unquote, analyzing music for me matters, because in a way I'm able to say to you like these are the things that I these are the things I like. These are the things I don't like. I know your record almost as well as you do. Uh, so at least, at least you have to respect the time and effort that I have put into crafting my opinion about it, as opposed to sort of like just saying, ah, well, fuck you. Do you even make music or whatever? These sorts of kind of emotional responses that people have when you criticize their art. But in the end, in the end, like I actually don't think that it's very productive. And in some ways I've, I've gotten really interesting feedback from, uh, from musicians uh, who have basically told me uh, that they that they that they took criticism from us um, in different ways than I, than you would actually expect, right? That they looked at the and they, and they thought about what we were saying and thought, huh, maybe they're right, you know, like hey, maybe there's something that that could be done. So I actually feel like that's a that's a strength of 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 kind of that perspective. Whereas if I'm just like calling people posers or bitching mm -hmm. about 
you know, bitching about something stupid, then, then all I'm doing is making enemies. Yeah. Well, and I also think it's realizing that what you're doing is really not reviews. It's critic. It's musical yeah. criticism, it's which is a very different thing. That's fair. You know, no. One thing I want to point out, though, is just from the publicist end, is sometimes you can't please the person no matter what. Like, even if you're extremely fair, um, like like we just said, Angry Metal Guy gives very balanced reviews, I think, and they're very fair on it, even if they dislike it. But, I mean, sometimes you do get, you, you, you get people that are offended that you don't like their art, no matter, and it's, you can't do anything about it. Their right? art. I mean, of course. I mean, they, they of course, they're going to be upset about it, you know, yeah. like, you, and oftentimes you make the music you love, right? Yeah. So, no. sorry, here, not, sorry. Oh, here's a question for you. Okay. So, um, you have sort of this featured band of the month thing, or album of the month, rather. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we have had. Is it no longer a thing? Oh, no, no, I... no. We we do. It's just that I, um, you know, like I I had a I had this seminar and I worked something like, I mean, it just worked crazy hours up to it, and. Okay so that it didn't, <laughs> it, it's been a little shaky sure. over the last sure. few months, but yes. But broadly speaking, you have this thing and it's, it's pretty well respected, right? So. Um, and like Curtis, I believe you've told me that you've seen, like when you've had artists get it, you've, they've seen a bump in sales. Well, um, the main one we got was Lore and Lore was like, I mean, I think that was like a perfect review or near perfect review. And it was like, yeah, it went, yeah. It was so the point being, like, we've seen that, like, like obviously an angry metal guy review is not going to turn someone into a huge band, but like, it's definitely got some clout. Yeah. Um, how does it make you feel when a band is like album of the month or whatever? And, and this is just both on your site and in general. Like, a band mm -hmm. is critically lauded. And it seems like they have everything put together to like do something cool. And then they just don't. <laughs> I mean, I actually think it's hard to, I mean, bands, bands are hard to be in. So I think that sure. I kind of expect, especially smaller bands, I kind of expect that they don't have a super long life. Um, but there is always that disappointment that you never got the follow up. And I think that that's like the big thing. There's this great, um, there's this great band from Minnesota called Iron Thrones. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys, you you know, Matt, but the, I mean, there was sort of like, they're, they were kind of doing a, a post-Opeth sort of thing. And I became friends with their guitar player or whatever, but I gave them like this super awesome review. They were unsigned. They were giving this stuff away for free. Um, and I just loved that record, and I still love that record. Um, and then they won the um, God. What was that car brand that was doing? Oh, uh, Scion. Yeah, yeah. It was like the Scion stuff, and they won something where they got to go and record an EP. And they went and they recorded that EP, and then they just kind of went, nah. And and it was it was a disappointment for me because like they were just super super good and it was a bummer to see them kind of kind of go away and i don't know that they were necessarily wrong at the moment i don't think that they probably would have become a successful band i think that they were on the back end of um they're on the back end of the kind of melodic 
uh, death metal stuff too far, you know, um, mm-hmm. maybe they would have gone the route of in mourning and kind of come back around eventually. But like, I, I think, I think that, you know, they went and did other things with their lives and now they've started making some more music again and it's probably time for them to do it so i'm excited about that but i mean i think sometimes you just kind of expect it but it is a bit of a it can be a bit of a shame uh and and then sometimes you don't even realize because i mean man we listen to so much music yeah that it's like you don't even you don't think about the fact that it's been six or seven years since you heard a new record from a band that you liked and then suddenly you're like oh shit those guys broke up you know like mm-hmm. especially small bands and you i mean i've said this i think i said this last time which is that i actually go out of my way to prioritize more independent bands uh, unless it's just like uh, the obvious thing for me is that, you know. Sure. Um, but I like to I like to try to showcase um, more independent bands. And I think that over the last few years, my, uh, like my top tens have been sometimes up to 40, 30 or 40% uh, sort of unsigned bands and stuff like that. Because Which like- really cool. Yeah, but it, it's also, I mean, I. When when my band got like this got this really good review, uh, and we were just like so moved by it, you know, because we're just like kids, and and the dude was like, whatever, you don't have to thank me, like you didn't do anything for me, <laughs> you earned it, <laughs> essentially, and that's kind of my response too. Like when I get when people say thanks, I was like, well, I mean, whatever, we're just doing the same thing we would do anyway. I calls it like I sees it, you know, and and that's that's sort of the. Um, yeah, I mean, but but then there are certain choices that you can make. Like, if let's say that I loved the new Nightwish record and I thought it was the most amazing album. Like, I don't need to give Nightwish press. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, when I was a little bit, like, I'm uncomfortable with, with uh, the stuff surrounding Tool, for example, and I don't have a particularly strong desire to, to give them press. It doesn't matter. Everyone gives them press, right? Like, there's no... I'm not running... I mean, I'm running a, a fairly influential site, but not a huge one, and and uh, and we're not, you know, we're we're not like Revolver or whatever. I don't even know what the, the megs are these days, uh, which means that no one gives a shit if we don't cover them, right? And and so in the end, maybe some people will complain that we didn't cover the new Tool record, but for me, it's just like, well, no one really on on the staff really wanted to do it. Yeah, the promo probably was going to be a pain in the ass to get anyway, and in the end, like, eh. So fuck it. There's there's no biggie, and I yeah. So so anyway. Fair enough. Uh, I believe we are running low on time. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh. Yeah, yeah. I do have a final thought. The thing that I want to see more of is I want to see a broader discussion of the ways in which we can try to get the infrastructure of the scene, kind of, still moving. Um. So I I posted this on Twitter and I I have not had time to write about it unfortunately, but um, you know I've heard rumblings uh, I've heard rumblings from people in sort of production and and this kind of stuff that like people are canceling stuff and that they're not sure that they're keeping their they're not sure they're going to keep their be able to keep their space um, and stuff like this and I'm 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 getting a little worried about promoters and uh, sort of the, that kind of invisible infrastructure of the scene. Uh, that is the stuff that, that I'm starting to get worried about because you know, like people are buying bands t-shirts. Rhapsody of 
whatever, like Luca Torelli's Rhapsody is running an Indiegogo. I'm sure they're getting their plane tickets paid paid back from from Latin America. But like, uh, what's happening to kind of people who are doing local shows? What's happening to people who are doing who 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 have like a, a local festival? Yeah, uh, and these sorts of things. I think that this is a thing that we need to be sort of looking into. And maybe encouraging, for example, like if you have mixing that needs to be done and you've got some some cash, maybe now's the time to try to get a bigger name, uh, a bigger name person to do it because they're probably seeing their work drying up. Yeah. Um, you know, and so so that's sort of my final thought. Like, you know, if you are right now, if you are in a position to be able to uh, to help people who aren't getting unemployment when they lose their when they lose their income, it's uh, which oftentimes a lot of these people aren't right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's maybe a time to start thinking like, Hey, what if I wanted, you know, whatever sort of this, this big name person to do my stuff in the, in the past, maybe it wouldn't have been possible. Maybe it is now. So, so I think that that's a, that's just a, a thing to keep in mind. I think there's, there are every time you see a huge contraction in, in, in the, in the economy, of course, there's always, there's openings. And I think right now there may be some openings and, and people should be trying to take advantage of that if they're in a position to do it. Right. So anyway, very fair. Cool. This has been dumb and dumbest. You have been listening. Are we done yet? We are done.